Good morning, good morning. Hey, church. How y'all doing? Hey, who was able to make it out to the church picnic yesterday? Show of hands. It was such a great time. Beautiful day. I unfortunately had the um, incident of sitting in somebody's taco platter. And uh, my backside had some beans on it. And community is amazing, though, because somebody was so kind to tell me about it. Thanks, Josh. And... Uh, and what's even more amazing is that my good friend Danan actually was willing to actually take a paper towel, wet it down, and wipe down my backside so that people didn't assume the wrong thing happened. So I did sit in a taco platter. What a great time it was. Hey, some of you guys don't know how my family and I came to All People's Church here in San Diego. We were originally from Minnesota. But years ago, all right, come on. Go twins. So years ago... Uh, when Katie and I were first married, God gave us this verse for our family. It's a life verse that we consider for our family from Isaiah 61 when it says that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And that's really just something we've carried with us. And as we were discerning where God was leading us and calling us, a friend of mine called and said, hey, I got a sermon you need to listen to. I'm going to send it you, to you. And he sent me this sermon from Robert Herber, um, who was on a retreat at the time up in North County. And he was looking over this grove of oak trees, and God put on his heart this dream of planting thousands of churches. And so as I heard that, it, something just really triggered in my heart. I said, you know what? That's us. We want to be a part of that movement. We want to be part of a church like that that's planting thousands of churches. And so if Robert got that revelation over a weekend, just think what he's getting right now on his sabbatical. We need to keep praying. <laughs> Be careful. Millions of church plants. That's what's coming next. <laughs> so it started for Katie and I, this discernment process. We really were discerning, is this you, Lord? And we came out to World Mandate West, and God said, yes, it's me. Moved to California, so we did. And upon arriving here in San Diego, I needed to get a job, and so I started in a familiar trade. My family, my brother owns a landscape business, which I've worked in various capacities in his business in the past. So I got a job at a landscaping company, and one of the first painful realizations I had in coming to California is that the soil here is a lot harder than the soil in Minnesota. In the Midwest, you can sink a shovel 18 inches into the ground, no problem, and it's just this satisfying feeling. Here, you take that shovel and you go, oh, and it's painful because you hit rocks inevitably. And so I believe that God is actually doing a good work in our church this summer by tending to the soil and dealing with the rocks in our soil and preparing us so that we can all become the oaks of righteousness that he's called us to be. One of the things that I love about oak trees is that they are trees that stand the test of time. You know, you've all seen those really, really old oak trees that are hundreds of years old that you know lived before your grandparents, you know, back before the, in the Civil War era, and you just think what that tree has experienced and lived through. And I want to be a tree that stands the test of time. Uh, you know, in Isaiah 61, you read about the different things that it says uh, oak trees, people that are oak trees are, and it says that they're restorers. They're employers, they're ministers, stewards of wealth. They are mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers. They're building a generational legacy. Oak trees stand the test of time and leave a legacy. Anybody else want to be an oak tree of righteousness for the Lord? Everybody else, you want to be a sunflower? Is that, it's cute. It's, it's cute. We've been in a great series called The Soil of the Soul. Kendall kicked us off with talking about the soil of the soul, laying the foundation. Then he talked about the importance of identity, it being good for the soul. Then he spoke about the soul of a man. The following week, 
Uh, Neely spoke about the soul of a woman. And then last week, Ricky and Tiffany Valdez shared about the soul of the church. Well, this week, I'm going to be continuing in our series, but specifically, I'm going to be talking about healing the soil of our souls. We're going to be talking about inner healing today. Uh, And it's something that I'm so delighted to share with you, but I have to be honest, it's a difficult message for me to share with you because it requires quite a degree of vulnerability. And I'm really excited about what God is wanting to do because he put this message on my heart to share today. And so I know that he's wanting to release something in our church and to bring healing in our church. Um, But bear with me because I'm going to be sharing some, some painful stories from the past, but then also some really incredible things that God has done since that time. So pray with me this morning before we continue. Lord, I'm just thankful for this opportunity to be with the church this morning and sharing about you, bragging on you and who you are and what you've done, Lord, in spite of all the things that have happened to me and in spite of all the things that have happened to this church. God, we just thank you that, Lord, you have the final say. The cross has the final say. And we have hope in you, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Who here knows John 3.16 by heart. Just raise your hand if you know John 3.16. Anybody willing to stand up and say it out loud, recite it out loud with lots of passion? All right, right there in the back with the tie. Come on. Woo! All right. Somebody give him a microphone. You got to preach. That's good. So we all know John 3.16, or most of us, and John 3.17 is not as known. It's the next verse. It says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want to study what this word save means in the Bible. The, The Greek word for the word save is sozo. It actually means a holistic, complete healing. It's found in many different places. I'll share three of them throughout scripture. Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's from the word sozo. Second instance, Matthew 9, 22. But Jesus turning and seeing her said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well, sozo. And at once the woman was made well, sozo. So there's this physical healing aspect of being saved. The third occurrence from Luke 8:36, and those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon possessed had been made well or sozo. So there's this deliverance, this demonic oppression this person was delivered from. And so you see it spirit, body, soul, the entire person is getting saved when Jesus comes into somebody's life. I love uh, what the Old Testament says, prophesying about who Jesus is and what he would do. Isaiah 53, four through six. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You know, saving is not just about our eternal destiny being in heaven, but actually about heaven and the reality of heaven coming to earth in our lives right here and now, mind, body, heart, and soul. But all of us have experienced times in our life where we have been wounded, we have been pained, we have been wronged, something has happened to us. We found ourselves with a wound in our soul 
and we found ourselves needing inner healing. You know, if our inner persons were able, they would have a story to tell. It's interesting, as Katie and I have moved several different times over the course of our marriage, uh, every time we move to a new place, we have to find a new dentist. And everybody loves going to the dentist. And so, and each time you go to the dentist for the first time, what do they want to get first? X-rays. So you're like, here's my wallet. Okay, so you, you pay his money, you get a new set of x-rays, even though he had one like six months ago. They said, we want our own x-rays. Okay, so if you're a dentist here, we love you. It's just, the process is a little painful. And here's a picture of my own x-rays here. I told you I'm going to be getting vulnerable. And what's amazing, what, what never ceases to amaze me is that every time you go to the dentist and you get x-rays, they can actually tell me more about my dental history than I actually remember myself. They tell me about the root canal I had and the cavity I had and my permanent retainer. And, and then they talk about the receding gum lines where I had skin grafting done. And then they even tell me that I grind my teeth at night. And I'm just amazed that they actually know more about my oral history than I can remember or know of my own. I think our souls are a lot alike in the same way we have a story to tell. Our souls have a history. Things have happened to us and we all carry those things with us wherever we go. And sometimes we feel those things and sometimes we don't. And sometimes we feel those things in certain circumstances, like when we bite into ice cream and all of a sudden we're like, ouch, that really hurts. And we know, oh, something's going on there. If our inner persons could tell a story, they would have a story to tell. My daughter also, who's uh, six years old, lost her first tooth recently. And all of a sudden her, her adult tooth, her first adult tooth started growing in. And it, and it caused me to think differently all of a sudden about her oral care and her teeth. Because all of a sudden I realized that she's going to have that tooth that she just got right now for the rest of her life. And similarly, our souls are the one that we get. And we will have our souls for the rest of our lives. So we both need to take care of them and honor them and respect them because they have a big impact on our life and we will only have that one for the rest of our life and through eternity. But left unattended, things start to get ugly, a little bit like this guy. If that doesn't convince you to take care of your teeth, all right, you can take it down. Somebody loves you, buddy. He needs deliverance. <laughs> Somebody loves you, but not me. <laughs> so venture with me, if you will, into the soil of my soul. I'm going to share with you some of the stories from my past. I'm going to share with you four core wounds, things that have happened to me throughout the course of my life. They're not the sum total of all the things that have happened to me, but I hope that they give you at least a snapshot of what a core memory soul wound would look like. Something that has happened to me, not necessarily my fault, um, but it has happened regardless. When I was about five years old, my brother and I were rummaging through my dad's office and we found a Playboy magazine. And it, at the time was really funny. We, we, we flipped through it. We were making jokes and we took it and made copies on the Xerox machine, the photocopy machine. But then all of a sudden we felt like really guilty. So we're like, this is bad, I think. So we should burn this. So we put in the fireplace and burn them. And my dad never asked me about where they went, but... <laughs> That, but that innocent moment of being exposed to pornography at the age of five actually became something that was normalized behavior through my adolescence and then actually translated into an addiction in my young adult years. 
Second core memory, soul wound, was when I was eight years old, my parents surprised us one Sunday after church. We did often these things called family explorers, and so we'd go explore something new. And my parents surprised us. They said, we're going to the Mall of America. And this was an epic opportunity because we had heard commercials about it. We had driven past it. And we knew that in the center of this mall was this indoor theme park, Knott's Camp Snoopy. And there was this roller coaster that I could not wait to ride. So at the age of eight, my dad says, hey, do you want to go on the roller coaster? I said, yes, I want to go on the roller coaster. So we waited in line for over an hour because the mall had just opened. And finally, it was our turn to ride the roller coaster. So we step up to the cart and I sit down and my dad struggles trying to sit down next to me. And what you might not know about my dad is that my dad was a very large man. My family actually struggled with obesity, all of us, for many years. And my dad could not fit into the cart next to me. And so the attendant came and asked him if he could wait for me on the other side of the gate while I rode the ride by myself. And what happened after that moment was a self-awareness. All of a sudden, I was like, wow, we're a different kind of people. We look different and we're treated differently. And, and it started this fear in me of becoming like my dad. And for the next 15 years of my life, I struggled with eating disorders, uh, self-esteem uh, issues, self-hatred, obsession with myself, and um, just hating the way my physical body looked. That was core memory number two. Core memory number three, uh, fast forward 10 years later, at age 18, I was a freshman in college, out of state, away from my family, and my mom sent my brothers and I an email letting us know that after 20-some um, years of marriage, uh, she was actually going to be filing for a divorce and leaving my dad. And I remember at the time um, thinking, wow, uh, is this going to happen to me? You know, you hear the statistics and you know that, you know, children of divorce are more likely to, to be divorced. And so I started fearing for my own future. I started thinking, hey, is somebody going to leave me in the future? Is somebody uh, going to abandon me? And is my marriage ever going to work out? So for years, several years after that, I struggled with a fear of marriage. Core memory number four, following my parents' divorce, um, I was longing for affection, and I had dated a girl for about a year and wrestling with my own fears and thinking about, okay, I think I could do this. I think I can do this. And I invited my girlfriend to come meet my family back in Minnesota. And so my dad had a friend who was a private pilot, uh, and he had a, a twin-engine Cessna, and, and he agreed to fly us from Montana to Minnesota to go meet my family. So it's my girlfriend and I, we get in the plane, and as we get to about cruising altitude, 15,000 feet or so, over the headphone intercom system, she lets me know that the night before, she had been in conversation with her ex-boyfriend and had decided to get back together with him upon returning from the trip. So I immediately started looking for the escape hatch, parachute. <laughs> parachute for me, escape hatch for my girlfriend. And... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Talk about some core memories and wounds. We're going to pause right there before it gets any worse because you, you take a look and these are four memories. And before, <laughs> before I was even 21 years old, before I was even 21 years old, I had some significant soul wounds that resulted in many things like sexual brokenness, self-hatred, low self-esteem, fear of commitment, and abandonment issues. Needless to say, I was a bit of a holy mess. 
But this was not the end of the story. And we'll get to the resolve in just a minute. But I want to share some things that I learned about these soul wounds along the way through this experience. The first one is that soul wounds are not always visible from the outside looking in. What's interesting is that if you, were, if you were a neighbor of mine, a friend of mine, if you went to church with me, you'd probably think I was a normal young adult. I could hold down a job. I was in college and, and I had friends. And so from the outside, I, I might have looked fine, as many of us do. But people didn't see that deep down inside, I was wrestling with a lot of self-hatred and fear and, and sinful patterns and behaviors. And those things are so much more internal than we realize. It's kind of like this picture here of an iceberg. What you encounter of a person on any given day is only the tip of the iceberg. But what lies beneath the surface is actually the bulk of what makes up a person. The Bible refers to this in Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, the purpose of a person's heart are deep waters but one who has insight draws them out. The second thing I learned is that soul wounds have significant impact on our inner life first and then on our relational life with others and with God. You know, we tend to self-medicate in times of pain. So a lot of us turn to sinful behavior. We self-protect. So we turn numb or we keep people out and away from our lives, keep them at arm's length, or some of us gravitate and become too dependent on people and cling to people because we're trying to heal ourselves, take care of ourselves in those moments of pain. And then other times we, we self-correct. You know, we say, I'm never going to be like my dad, and, which is an overcompensation. And for me, that was the eating disorder. And I just ran from the idea of becoming obese like my, my father was. You've heard the phrase, hurting people hurt others. And that's what is true if we don't take care of the pain. And and if that pain isn't dealt with, we're going to continue to project and uh, impact people. Third thing is that we have a choice whether or not to take a look at the deeper inside of ourselves. It's a choice. No one can make you do it. And in fact, I think that most people on any given day would prefer not to do it. It's, it's dark, it's scary, it's complex, and, and it's not fun to look at. Um, and no one can actually just make you do it. And so we have to choose to do this. Proverbs 4.18 says this. There are two types of people, people who walk in the light and people who walk in the darkness. The path of the righteous, the Bible says, is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. But the path of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So it's interesting, you think about the righteous walk in the light and the wicked walk in the darkness and they don't even know what's tripping them up. So they're walking through life just like causing pain, causing wounds, hurting, bleeding, and they don't even know why. They don't even look at what is causing me to feel that way and to act this way. And so it's a choice. The fourth thing is that we are not responsible for what happens to us, but we are responsible for what happens in us. Let me say that again. We are not responsible for what happens to us. I can't control other people. I can't control these outside circumstances, but I can control what happens inside of us. So some of us choose to harden our heart. We self-medicate. We turn to sin. We become untrusting, cynical, bitter. Or we can choose to deal with the pain and the trauma, bring that before the Lord and let him deal with it. I love what the relational counselor, Danny Silk from Bethel says. He says, we are powerful people. 
And it's interesting because I think in Christi- Christianity, we talk a lot about like humility and, you know, I'm, I'm a worm and I'm nothing, I'm not worthy. And, but Danny Stokes says we're powerful and it's scriptural. Second Timothy 1.7 says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. We're not victims in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Fifth thing is that uh, we can't fix ourselves. We need a savior. You guys remember the scene from Castaway when the guy tried to take out his own tooth? <laughs> with, with the blade of an ice skating. He was on a, a desert island by himself and he had this toothache and he had to have it extracted. So he took a rock and an ice skate and he, boom! That's not for us. <laughs> that is not what God intends for us. Proverbs 25, remember the purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Who is that one who has insight? John 14, 26 says this, but when the father sends the advocate, other translations say the counselor as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and it will remind you of everything I have told you. We have the Holy Spirit to advocate on our behalf for our own healing. We don't have to try to fix ourselves. The Holy Spirit is there with us, drawing out those deep waters. And the sixth thing is this, feelings precede healings. Owning our pain is essential for intimacy with God. Owning our pain is essential for our intimacy with God. Psalm 51, six says this, God says, behold, You desire, this is said about God, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part, you will make me known, you will make known to me wisdom. Psalm 6, 6, I love this. David lived this out. David, who wrote the Psalms, king of Israel said this, I am am worn out from sobbing all night long. I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. You know, David was a man's man, but he also was able to feel things deeply. I love how Jesus lived this out. Jesus demonstrated this to us. Even though he was God, he was also vulnerable. Luke twenty two forty four 44 says this, and being in anguish, he, Jesus, prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was a man who felt things. Allowing ourselves to feel the pain of an event can be the first step towards achieving and experiencing inner healing. You know, I think men really struggle with this. Um, I have found that uh, in general, men don't like to talk about their feelings. Um, I think there's kind of this hero complex mentality, like I'm good, I'm fine. You know, you meet a man who's like, you know, has a fever, is probably like, you know, going into septic shock and, you know, is bleeding and, you know, limping along and you ask him, hey, you okay? And what does he say? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good, right? And I, this drives my wife nuts because I'm, I'm, I'm not any better than this people. Like I, I like to be, you know, strong and tough. And so I'm like, you know, I'm good. And she's like, no, you're not. Like sometimes the women in our lives know before we do that we're, we're not okay. So, you know, it's interesting. We come to church and, and, uh, and, and some of us like to think we've got it all together, but none of us do really. All of us have things that, that we are working through, that God is doing in us, uh, that is refining. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, how are you doing today? Right now. And, when, and then I want you to answer them, not good. That's why I'm here. 
All right. All right. We're all here for healing. We're all here for healing. There's nobody that does not need healing. We're all here for it. So when we press into Jesus, though, this is the good news, that when we press into Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to, to deal with these inner wounds that we have, our healed memories actually become a place of intimacy with God and stand forever as a testimony regarding the goodness of God. Healed memories actually become a place of intimacy with God and stand forever as a testimony regarding the goodness of God. I love the biblical examples. We've got three I want to share with you. Joseph, he was uh, betrayed by his own brothers. You know, the Technicolor Dreamcoat story. And uh, he was dropped into a well. He's picked up by these travelers. And, and, uh, and then he was, he was put into prison. But then God eventually met him in that place and elevated him to being in a position of leadership and authority, to being number two in all of Egypt. And then he actually was used by God to rescue the Israelites during a time of famine and brought great restoration to his family. So God took that pit of his pain and it actually became a place of deep intimacy with God and became a ministry where he was able to heal others. I love the story of David. You know the story that he was neglected by his family. He was the, the, the shepherd boy out in the fields while his brothers were out to war. Um, his brothers didn't respect him. His very own mentor, King Saul, grew full of jealousy for David as he became uh, a more accomplished soldier in the, in the Israelite army. Yet God chose him to serve as the king over Israel and would lead the nation through many years of prosperity and victory. I love the story of Ruth, who was a young widow who had lost her husband during a famine. But she found healing through the God of Israel, the Israelites and would find love again. And would, she would go on to become a mother who eventually Jesus himself was born through her lineage. So it's like God takes the deepest places of our pain and uses them for the greatest testimonies. God is in the business of healing wounded people so that they can also bring healing to a broken world. The area of greatest soul pain for me, as I shared with you earlier, was, was probably in this place of self-image. Um, my propensity toward low self-esteem and self-hatred was something that plagued me for many years. This was triggered by uh, a painful experience in my childhood. In fact, several painful experiences. And I also learned that it was something that was generational, something that my parents carried into their own relationship. And then as they had children, it was passed down to me. Uh, for me, this had taken on the form of, of disordered eating, obsession with the way I looked, and even cursing my very physical body when I looked in the mirror. I, I remember looking in the mirror and just saying, like, I hate you. I'd like feel myself and saying, like, I hate you. I'd curse my own body because I hated the way I looked so much. But it was interesting because I gave my life to Jesus at a young age. And I knew up here that the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I, I knew up here that, you know, we were made in the image of God but I didn't know it in here. There was a block somewhere. And so in church, we can know a lot of things in theory, but we're not experiencing them in the pit of our soul. Yeah. But little did I know that when I gave my life to Jesus as a child, he was just getting started. God was not done with me. At the age of 21, I began walking with the Holy Spirit. And over the next several years, I began getting a deeper revelation into the parts of my heart that needed tending to. And at one particular retreat, when I was a young adult, I was, I was struggling with this idea of seeing myself through God's eyes, the way that he saw me. And I was in worship, and there was this time of ministry, and 
I was so frustrated. I'm like, I cannot see myself the way God sees me. So um, a friend came over and offered to pray for me and, and they, they put their hands over my eyes and said, okay, you know, what do you see? And all of a sudden, this image started forming in my mind and there was this glowing, beaming man, handsome, healthy, and he was grinning from cheek to cheek. And then all of a sudden in his arms, there was this baby and he was lifting it up like Mufasa, you know, <laughs> or Simba in The Lion King. And, and at first I was like, am I that, am I that handsome man? And, and the Holy Spirit said to me, that is Father God. And you were made in his image. And you are this beautiful child made in the image of a healthy, handsome, whole father. And I began to weep. We began to weep, my friend and I together. And that moment for me marked a great turning point in my life where the self-hatred stopped. You know, and, and for the first time in my life, I was able to receive compliments. I could receive love from other people. And I actually was able to love myself for the first time also. Praise God. Yes. Learning to love myself and see myself in the mirror through the lens of love was something that I missed growing up. You know, my parents didn't instill that in me. Um, and I don't know that anybody ever instilled that in them. But since God deposited that in me and that ability to see myself in the mirror through the lens of love, I really wanted to share that with my children, and it is a delight to share that with my two girls, Evelyn and Emma. And so I've been able to record these over the course of the past year and a half or so, and I practice with my girls in the mirror. I, I actually encourage them to look at themselves and to repeat after me. I say, Evelyn, she says, Evelyn, and I say, you are beautiful, and she repeats it uh, after me. And so I want you to watch these two videos here as a testimony of what God does when he brings healing. Evelyn, Evelyn, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. <laughs> Again. You are beautiful. <laughs> you are beautiful. Like, <laughs> That's right. Ah, just love those girls. You know, my life, I hope it stands as a testimony to the goodness of God and as an ability to save the whole person. To save the whole person. You know, God has revealed himself to me not just as a historical uh, person or a lofty deity, but somebody who's very near and dear to me. He's a friend, an intimate companion, a great physician, a soul surgeon, and the one to whom I owe my life, my marriage, my children, and my ministry. So church, it's your turn now. I want to give you guys an opportunity to uh, start or continue on this journey of inner healing. But before we get into that, I do want to share with you from Isaiah 61, again, the verses about becoming oaks of righteousness. Now, I'm going to read these and I want you to think about who it is that God says will be oaks of righteousness. Isaiah 61 says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to pro provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes 
the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. It's you, church. It's you, the ones who've experienced pain and trauma, the ones who are still experiencing those things in your life. It's you that will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. It's not the perfect ones. It's not the impermeable ones that can't be affected by anything. It's the people that have been affected by the great pains in their life. I want to share with you just a tool because this journey of inner healing is a lifelong journey. And for some of us, it's going to take years. God does powerful things in moments like I shared with you in that revelation. But then he also does things over the course of time. So I want to share with you this tool and equip you guys to continue this process of inner healing in your life. You won't do it alone because you have the Holy Spirit and you have the body of Christ with you. We have very skilled people around us who love you, who want to walk with you through your own journey of inner healing. So the tool is this. It's, a, it's an acronym. DIG is the word. We need to dig deep into our soil. We need to dig deep. There's no shortcut to it. I've been in landscaping long enough to know that there's just no shortcut to getting something done other than just doing the hard work and digging deep. So D, discover. First thing we need to do is discover what emotions, what feelings are going on in my heart? So a good question to ask is, what emotions do I find myself having that seem to be inconsistent with Scripture? Envy, bitterness, resentment, defensiveness, hatred. All those things are signs that there's something going on deep down inside that God wants to address. You know, another good indicator is, is what is the feedback you've received from other people around you? Have other people in your life shared with you at times that, you know, man, you seem to be really defensive when this comes up or you don't want to ever talk about that or, man, you just seem down a lot, you know? Like, what's going on? That feedback's important. I think it's worth listening to. So that's discovery. We've got to discover what's going on. The second thing we need to do is to invite God. Remember, he's the soul surgeon. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who is the person of understanding, able to draw us out of deep waters. Invite God to identify the wounds. So you can ask him, when did I start feeling this way? When was the first time I started feeling this way? Where did all this begin? Search my heart. David prayed this in the Psalms. Search my heart. Try me, O God. Find if there's any offensive way in me. We need to ask God to search our hearts. And then as, as the Holy Spirit brings things to mind, it's oftentimes a memory or an experience or something that happened over the course of time. We can identify that and name it for what it is. It's a wound. And then the third thing is we just have to get after it. Getting after it looks like this, taking time to sit in the pain and to actually feel the pain. Remember, feelings precede healings. God can't really heal us if we, we're not feeling anything, you know? So um, it's so important for us just to, in those moments when we're with God, just to say, okay, God, allow me to feel that. Allow me just to go there a second and to experience that pain. He's not going to leave you there. The goal is not to feel things forever, that pain forever. But then the next question we can ask God is, um, God, how has my pain had negative consequences? How has it caused me to potentially hurt other people or to turn to sinful tendencies. 
And then we can repent of the ways that we have partnered with lies or we have turned towards self-medication or self-soothing, trying to take care of ourselves rather than turning to God so we can repent. And then the next thing that I think is so vital is we can bring other people into our process and our story. We can feel known by other people around us and experience love even while being known. I think all of us have a fear that, man, if people really knew me, if they really knew the stuff I've been through, the stuff I've done, they wouldn't love me. That's not true. God loves us so unconditionally. God loves us so unconditionally, and the people around us are in the same boat, and we all have things that we're walking through. So we can share our pain and our story with someone. And then finally, we ask Jesus to come and bring healing to our wounds. And he's going to heal you. He will. I have no doubt that he will. You see my life. I'm a testimony that God can take a very broken person and bring healing and restoration. That's what he's in the business of doing. He's the God who brings restoration. He's the God who brings healing. I want to invite the worship team up here. Um, we're going we're gonna to close with a song. Why don't you guys all stand up here a second. Uh, stand with me. and I just want to invite you to consider, hey, am I ready to start this journey of inner healing? Ask yourself, am I ready to start this journey of inner healing? Are there things that, hey, I, I haven't ventured back there. I haven't gone there. I don't want to go there. But is it time for you now? Um, God might have, during the sermon, been bringing up some emotions, some feelings. He might have been identifying some core wounds and some pain, some experiences in the past that you think, man, I think that still affects me. Uh, I still think that there's more work to be done. Um, if God has been identifying or bringing anything up for you, you a feeling or a memory, would you just raise your hand and just say, hey, that's me. It's me. Great. Let's, let's do this. Let's close our eyes. I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit to come right now. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and reveal things. Holy Spirit, would you come in this moment now, God, into the deepest parts of our heart, Lord. If you want to put your hands open in the posture like you're receiving a gift, just as a posture of saying, I'm open to you, God. Take the hard ground, take the soil, take the, take the rocks, God, and, and do your work. Do your work inside of me. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to people right now those places of pain, those places of, 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 of wounding in their soul, God. And if that's you and you're saying, hey, I'm ready. I want to I take a step towards healing. I'm going to encourage you to do a few things. The first thing, again, is to share your story with somebody. You can do this in Life Group. We have things called healing rooms that take place on Saturdays. We've got a Freedom Day that comes in the fall. Take a step. Some of us might need to see professional counselors. Some of us might have to get some, have some real honest, raw conversations with our, with our spouses, maybe with our dad, maybe with our mom. It's time to really go there, to venture back there, and know that the Holy Spirit is going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we'll close with a, with a chorus here. Lord, I'm just thankful that you are the healer. You are the one who didn't leave me in that car by myself to ride that ride. I'm thankful that, Lord, you're with me every step of the way. I thank you, Lord, that you never abandoned me in a plane. You won't give up on me, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that, that you say that you are healthy, you are whole, and that we have been made in your image, God. I thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect healer. You are the one who wants to bring healing to everyone in this room, God. And I pray right now specifically for the men of this room, for boldness, for them to go to those deep places, God. God, I thank you that you're the hero. We don't have to be the hero. That you get to be the hero to draw us out of those deep waters. Father, would you do a good work in us today as a church? And in the months to come, Lord, would you do the good work in our soil, Lord, so that you can raise up oaks of righteousness in this place, God. 
Lord, you want to raise up oaks of righteousness, but first you say, I'm going to tend to your soil. I want to get after those things that don't belong, those things that would inhibit growth. Thank you, God. Thank you that that's who you are. Why don't you lead us in a song of worship as we close?